So welcome back to another year. Uh, Political D is going to again be every few weeks uh, to chat about current affairs in Northern Ireland and maybe if we get the time talking about elsewhere. This first podcast will have to of course look very much at what uh, we're loosely describing as the deal for shorthand. I think first of all we'll, we'll take it in different levels. I think we might start off on with the idea of the construction of the deal or how the deal was arrived at and you know, uh, and the parties to that deal? Yeah, well, the deal was presented uh, jointly by the British and Irish governments and um, uh, from the very outset that jointery, if you will, is going to be a concern particularly for unionists because the Good Friday Agreement, the, the, the two governments were described as joint guarantors of that agreement, but an extraordinarily important win uh, for David Trimble in, in that agreement was the setting up of the strands, strands one, two and three, and uh, essentially ensuring that Northern Ireland's internal business was included in strand one and that the Republic of Ireland's government was not part of that decision-making process. The level to which this was presented as a, as a, as a joint deal the presentation of, of the agreement and uh, the, the press conference uh, and so on, actually Simon Coveney was more prominent in that than Julian Smith. He had much more to say. The Irish government have an election coming up and they have uh, an interest in presenting this as, as their work. But there is a worry from the unionist perspective that this shows a basic failure to respect the, the, the principle and the strands of the Good Friday Agreement, and if we're steamrollering something as basic as that from the very beginning, what chance of success or uh, even-handedness is there in this deal? Yeah, and I think that also there's a there, there's just a, that that other background annoyance of, of unions as to what the Irish government actually bring to the table in Strand One, because in real terms. Um, they talk about you know, it being joint, but the money they're bringing is money that they've already committed to the A5 project, uh, which is much less than was originally offered because they, they, they cut back significantly on that. But also then uh, that on matters, for example, on legacy, uh, you know, we've seen the row in the South uh, about uh, commemorating the RIC, uh, which I think for Eunice was alarming, not simply because it suggests that 100-year wounds haven't particularly healed within the Southern society, uh, but also that in terms of um, the the opposition to that commemoration, it didn't come from perhaps the usual suspects on the the hard Republican side, but it seemed to be a very broad cross-section of Irish society that was opposed. Um, And of course then also in terms of the issues, things like you know, collusion, the 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 involvement or the collusion between Garda and and uh, and the IRA seems to be just simply constantly swept under the carpet, and those stories have been bubbling in our newspapers uh, over the past few weeks before the deal was actually announced. Yep, I mean the the, the Irish government likes to posture about issues like legacy and their forever chiding. Britain for not um, acknowledging its role in incidents that, that, that they allege um, they were involved in, but there's been absolutely no acceptance on, on Dublin's 
side that it had a road, road, a role to play in keeping the troubles going and also you know providing safe haven for the IRA not really weighing in behind uh, the security efforts to, to kind of prosecute that war against terrorism. You, you have uh, Leo Varadkar coming up to Stormont but particularly Simon, Simon Coveney using this is- issue to posture and to try and, and, and get their uh, election campaign started and it's not really a helpful um, contribution or, or a constructive way to get things started. And someone who, who is probably regarded by many unions as the most condescending, patronising southern politician that they know. Not that there's many that they do know, but he's certainly up there with people that unionists basically don't trust too much. Coveney? Coveney. Oh yes, absolutely. I wouldn't disagree with that. But, but then there's the, the issue then of the, the actual document itself. Once the document was actually published, the focus went to the fact that there was a deal and people started talking then about the parties and the, the actual formal process of setup. But very few people seemed to actually look at the, the, deal the actual document mm. to any great uh, strength or detail. And that document itself just seemed to be dripping in the constructive ambiguity uh, that perhaps allowed everybody to say they got what they wanted. But really, uh, and I think you've, you've mentioned this in a couple of articles uh, over the past week or two, that it leaves open the basis of the next great fallout because they can't all be right. The deal was supposed to really have two main strands and, and one of those strands dealt with the Irish language and other cultural issues, but the second strand was supposed to stabilise the institutions and ensure that the type of impasse that we saw over the last three years doesn't happen again. And that was the strand that we were told that unionists were concentrating on, the DUP was concentrating on, but the content of that strand um, is weak to non-existent. There's a few measures aimed at bolstering the moral case that will hopefully um, prevent parties from, from dragging down the institutions, but there's absolutely nothing practically stopping one party from coming out of the executive again, uh, collapsing Stormont and uh, triggering an election and then a series of mini crises like we've had previously. Uh, There's a cooling off period. What's that worth? Very little. I think it's maybe, what is it, 28 days or something like that. In the scale of of things, um, it's very weak. There's um, but ministers and their spouses can keep their jobs for six months. Minute, well, <laughs> isn't that isn't that convenient? And and, and on the issues of uh, kind of policy and reform um, that we've been waiting for Stormont to to take action on for so long, there's a lot of fine words, but absolutely no commitments at all. The, the detail and, and I guess Sammy Brad has has brought out a couple of points. Uh, you know, he was talking this morning about the, the I don't know what the formal term is, but the fiscal committee that's going to be set in place, which seems to be about Westminster doing a check up every now and then that the money that they've been sending over is being spent properly. You know, in terms of the 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 text, this is a bit of a cobbled together document. Um, I, I'm not sure that. The people who put it together have really, really proofed it uh, to see that it would stand up. And in, in one of the paragraphs, uh, it suggests, I think it's paragraph 23, uh, suggests that there would be a fully developed, consulted upon programme of government published by April 20, 
20? Well, it takes 12 weeks for the consultation alone. We haven't seen a programme for government developed terribly quickly in the past. Uh, and also uh, elsewhere, uh, there's another paragraph, uh, 4, 411, um, that suggests that that date is actually March 2020. So they're not proving it, they haven't checked it, they've been throwing it together. And I think really, once you know, that document is going to be something that will be used when it's convenient. Um, but in fact, I'm not sure that it's worth the paper it's written on in many, in many terms. It took an interminable length of time the last time to get a programme for government um, agreed between the parties. So I'm, I'm not sure why they expect things to, to go so seamlessly this time, even even if it were practically possible to put together the programme in that time, which it, it seems that it's not. Um, and there's also, you know, we've uh, seen issues pointed, uh, pointed out um, in terms of the Brexit process as well with this uh, document. Um, guarantees unfettered access for Northern Ireland to the GP econ- the GB economy, which is, I suppose, what we want. But will this um, commitment explode as Brexit negotiations well, go it, forward? It will explode unless Boris has already got in mind an end trade deal that largely ties the UK into uh, the customs union, the single market, level playing field, all the things that... Uh, were envisaged under what might have been ultimately Theresa May's deal. So uh, that's still got to be seen. There's also, of course, the you know the, the other part is in the legacy uh, issues where Stormont House is meant to be going ahead at full full pace in terms of legacy issues. But Boris is still quite clear that you know he'll well seems to suggest that Johnny Mercer will get all the support. He needs at the MOD to assure the end of vexatious uh, prosecutions. The, you know, the nonsense of the agreement was perhaps exemplified by a comment by Leo Varadkar uh, when he was up in a press, press conference with uh, Boris Johnson, when in one sentence he said, I think one of the strengths of this agreement is that there's an agreed approach on legacy issues, but in the very next sentence um, then stated it's going to be difficult there's a divide in opinion on this. So you can't have, well, you can agree to disagree, I guess, in the in the great scheme of things, but it doesn't suggest that everybody is on the same page in regard to Stormhouse or Legacy. Yeah, I mean, they're tying themselves up in knots and maybe even more profound. You can see an even more profound disagreement between Sinn Féin and the DUP, um, Declan Kearney, the Chairman of Sinn Féin, yeah. national chairman, he likes to style himself, sees the agreement, sees the deal as a beachhead to Irish unity, which the DUP secure, uh, assure us it's not. They, they assure us that they'll um, prevent any attempt to turn it into one, and they say that it'll strengthen Northern Ireland's position within the UK. And I know that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't work constructively together on issues like education and health, and everything else, but when they've got such a profoundly different idea of what this amounts to from the very beginning, do we have any confidence that the crisis, next crisis won't be lurking around the corner? Well, as I say, with, with, with uh, Leo Varadkar not seemingly able to put two sentences together that can't contradict uh, themselves over this deal, I'm not quite sure 
that those two parties and, and that the parties going forward have it together. And that must surely uh, bring us to the money, to, mm. the, to the biggest part or, or the biggest uh, surprise, if we like, on, on, this, on this deal in that it would seem that whilst everybody was talking about money, nobody agreed about the money uh, before everything got set up. And I, th I think that's either uh, Mr. Smith would be a very good, uh, uh, Julian Smith, sorry, would be a very good poker player. Um, uh, and he's basically bluffed um, and hadn't consulted anybody about what money was available, but just had a broad brush sort of figure around there, of, uh, sort of a billion or something. And, you know, that'll, that'll do them kind of stuff. We'll commit to this. We'll commit to that. Yeah. And don't, don't worry about it, lads. We'll, we'll see you right. We'll see you right. You know, without actually, but without anybody actually sitting down and saying, here's the costing. And, um, we haven't had any real idea of what's been asked for. I would have thought uh, for these past three years, civil servants would have been sitting there doing up their budgets and saying, this is what we need to go forward. So uh, those figures would have been readily available in terms of what is required for Northern Ireland in the future. Well, I know it's a rhetorical point, David, and I, your, your faith in our civil servants is rather touching. Um, but I suspect that they've been spending their three years doing anything but uh, developing tight, detailed budgets that, the, that they're going to need uh, at the restoration of, of devolution. And I know that you, I mean, you, you mentioned Sam's article there and the, the whole thrust of, um, of Sam's article was that there would be much greater scrutiny on, on Stormont, Stormont's uh, budgeting decisions from both Westminster and Whitehall, and that that's because they've lost a certain amount of trust in their competency due to the RHI yeah. scandal and other and other examples of them seeing money from Westminster really as as free money to inject into the like. into the Northern Ireland economy. I mean, the, the 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 issue that I see some of the commitments that um, that people are. Are making at the moment. We're starting out making commitments on pay parity for health workers and this kind of thing. They might, you maybe could make it work um, if ministers were going to accept genuinely shared responsibility for the budget and accompany that uh, those decision, decisions with uh, you know much needed reforms that we've all been waiting for for so many years. But that involves making unpopular decisions and we've seen so many times that mandatory coalition and the way that Stormont is set up doesn't lend itself to ministers making themselves unpopular and taking responsibility on themselves for difficult, tricky matters. No, I, th I think our politicians are hoping for a, a, a short-term gain. The, the, the next election, I think, is 2021. So two years really to turn the health service around uh, in, in a meaningful way that people can see the difference. So the targets of getting waiting lists down to zero, I think they're talking about, is a big offer to the uh, electorate. There's 350 million that's been sort of talked about. Esmond Burney uh, was talking about 5 billion needed earlier in the week. But if we just take what's on, on offer at the moment, um, you know, we kind of learned this morning sort of that you know, the, the pay parity and the improved safety to nurses 
I would put that together at about 150 million, 110 or so for pay parity, 40 probably on a, on an ongoing basis for 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 uh, for nursing safety, um, and then of course uh, 350 uh, maybe for for bringing down the health risk, and 200 million uh, for building new roads, including York Street interchange. If I remember rightly, 200 140 was already offered under the. Uh, confidence supply agreement by by the DUP. I'm not sure that 200 million is going to be exceptionally new money in that in that respect. And then there's the implementing the Bengoa structural reforms for the health service. Well, we're already meant to have spent 250 again under the under the um, the uh, confidence and supply arrangement uh, with the DUP. I'm not sure where or how long that was spent and if it hasn't just been frittered away. Um, but you know, if we if we take it that that is a sum for Bengoa and two hundred and fifty, there's five hundred million. You're looking there around maybe uh, around uh, yeah thousand or or twelve hundred million that has largely been allocated just within health and roads. Um. So and and the billion that would come under consequentials is basically for day to day running of services. You know, it's it's not extra, and then we have. A plethora of new commissioners. Well, do we want to spend on that? Really, do we want to spend on a plethora of new commissioners, or do we want a ward of nurses? Because those are the decisions that are going to be have taken. That's why pay parity hasn't existed for the past five years because a hard decision was taken in twenty fourteen that uh, pay parity uh, was going to cost too much. Uh, against the day-to-day uh, running of the health service. There's a bigger conversation, not for today, about whether there shouldn't be regional minimum wage and regional uh, pay levels uh, because cost of living isn't equal in, in all parts of the UK. Big, hard decisions out there. I don't get the impression that mm. the current executive is ready to make those big, hard decisions. Well, you're right to allude to the commissioners and the fact that this is actually from the beginning a very bad start to make if you're going to start to be fiscally responsible because I mean we know that Northern Ireland already has a, a huge public sector we've got an extraordinary number of commissions ombuds people ombudsmen if you're allowed to say that these days and arm's length bodies for such a small place we should be trimming those back rather than adding to them and particularly where sort of feeding into our preoccupation with identity and culture and putting that at the center of our politics even more firmly than we have in the past rather than going the direction that we should be doing and, and sort of trimming back on, on these bodies where, where the, this deal contains uh, commitments to 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 actually expand our, our public sector in ways that aren't necessary and another area where we've got off to a bad start is in the row about water rates, which, I mean, we've discussed in the past about uh, the health service and knowing what needs to happen uh, regarding the health service and reform there. We also know what needs to happen with the water service. We've got crumbling infrastructure. We're the only part of the UK not to levy water charges. Um, we need water charges and we possibly also need 
uh, other reforms to, to generate money to invest in that infrastructure? Well, I think if you're going to look at water, you need probably new ideas on, on, the, on the structure of the water service. I'm not sure privatisation is necessarily a, a route to go. It's one option. There's also uh, you know, a, a government company or, or a trust for the good of the people of Northern Ireland and, and, and the provision of water and the, the care of water. There are different formats that could be done in there, certainly that would allow better access to the capital markets that would go to infrastructure. But of course, that's going to mean separate charging um, mm. and uh, charging outside of our rates. Um, I have no doubt that that would then allow people to put the rates up. That's another day, that's another story, I think, as we as we go forward. Yes, and the last time that those issues were discussed, um, we should remember, was under the, uh, on, under the ministership of our new finance minister, Conor Murphy, who had an absolutely disastrous tenure at, uh, at, uh, at, environment, at environment and oversaw a, a terrible water crisis in, in Northern Ireland. I guess it's just as well they don't need to submit CVs for their next big job. Um, let's, let's leave it today. I'm sure a lot of these topics will come up throughout the year. Thanks, David.